Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Let's go there. With Shira and Ryan. Entertainment. Music. Pop culture. LGBT plus news. Let's go there. Starts now. Hello, Hello everybody. Welcome to the show. Happy Tuesday. Did you say Shalom? Shalom. I got Welcome to the show. Oh, I thought you. But she said shalom, everybody. You know, I'm excited to talk about the news today, but I'm also um, going through a really tough time. Should we talk about this? Well, here's I'm the not going to go into the minutiae of it. No, 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 because it's really complicated. But I, I do think you know, life teaches us lessons, and I think sometimes life often when they're tr- it's trying to teach us a lesson, it makes us go through the roughest, most awful thing, and it's like. Isn't there an easier way to teach me this, right? Wouldn't wouldn't you have thought? Um, yeah. So Shira, uh, she, I, I'm I'm just gonna let you take the floor. No, I was enjoying this. Okay, well, Shira, unfortunately, may, we're not sure yet, we were manifesting that she didn't, but she may have lost a lot of money trying oh, to be on top of... Uh, the Bitcoin technology world. I yeah, I I tried to. There's this new thing called BitCloud, and I bought my thing. Wait, there's a thing. Okay, there's a thing of a thing. I tried to buy it because other people could buy it, and I rushed. And yeah. I by mistake sent money to the wrong address. If you know the <laughs> cryptocurrency thing. And so now I can't find the money, which doesn't make sense to me because the whole point of cryptocurrency is how you can track it. Well, what's the point if you can track Shira it and you can't get to it? She was Jeff Bezos <laughs> and had all the money just to lose. And she lost some, she lost she lost a good amount of money. I'm sorry. I would have honestly I lost less money than my rent. Wait, I lost less than I paid. That's rent. still a lot of money it to is. someone. It is. I don't to know what me else. specifically. I'm, I'm trying to make myself feel better right now. <laughs> I don't think okay. you can. I really don't think you can, but we do have a show to get to. We do. Um, and we're kind of, yeah. If anyone else has lost money or done dumb stuff on the crypto oh, thing, God. hit us up at LGT Show on social media or call us anytime, 833-77-CALL-Q. No one's calling So you can that. commiserate with me. But please let us know at LGT Show. I've been seeing some of your messages. Producer Vanessa's on top of our social, right? And I, I went in there and I saw people were messaging saying they loved us. And Amazing. they've been listening from Miami. And all, all Vanessa did was just double tap the message. I said, Vanessa, you got to talk to folks. 
It was the lazy double tap. So she didn't respond. It's fine because we're going to start responding. So here's what's coming up on the show. We're going to be celebrating (laughs) Asexuality Day today. It's the first International Asexuality Day. Plus, uh, we're going to be bringing you the latest from the Derek Chauvin murder trial for the uh, murder of George Floyd. We have, again, a radio reporter who's on the ground there from our sister station in Minneapolis. So stick around for that in 15 minutes. But right now, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Uh, President Biden moved the vaccine eligibility deadline for all adults to April 19th. Here he is announcing that. It is reassuring to see that uh, for-profit operations and businesses are speaking up about announcement that the president will uh, will announce officially later this afternoon that we've reached 150 million shots in arms since entering government and that by April 19th all adult Americans will be eligible to get the vaccine. That doesn't mean they will get it that day. It means they can join the line uh, that day if they have not already done that beforehand. Of course, that was Press Secretary Jen Psaki. Uh, A few weeks ago, Biden called on states, tribes, territories to make all U.S. adults eligible for vaccination no later than May 1st. Um, And he announced the new deadline after his visit to a vaccination site in Alexandria, Virginia. But let's move on to the vaccine passports. Continues to be a much debated issue. Texas Governor... um, Greg Abbott actually announced in a new executive order that he will not allow uh, vaccine passports to happen. He's prohibiting organizations receiving public funds from requiring consumers to provide documentation of vaccine status in order to receive any service or enter any place. And of course, he joins Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? So we're going to talk a little bit of the tea report next hour. I got a juicy, juicy story for you um, because you won't believe the latest celebrity who is deciding to jump into the political ring. Stay tuned for that because uh, we got more tea report coming up next hour. Okay. But coming up, more updates on the Derek Chauvin trial. What happened today and who they want to bring in uh, to testify. And this is very debated right now. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. It's the seventh day of the Derek Chauvin trial for the murder of George Floyd. And again, we have a reporter who's on the ground there, Susie Jones, joining us from WCCO in Minneapolis. Thanks for being here. No problem. Glad to be here. So uh, there was a lot that happened today, including two Minneapolis police officers who testified. What was the importance of their testimony? Basically, today was about tactics police training and use of force. Those were kind of the themes today. And we had uh, the first witness to take the stand was a sergeant for the police department who's in charge of de-escalating crisis situations. And there is a class that they all have to go through 40 hours of learning how to spot a crisis, learning sort of what to do with the situation, kind of gathering information. And he basically testified that in most cases, officers should have the time or make the time to really evaluate a situation before rushing into any particular reaction right away. It's about gathering information. Listening is critical as well. So the two officers, the one, um, Kerr Yang, and then the second police officer, Johnny Mercil, both of those officers 
are involved in training. So that was a large part of today's testimonial on basically what is proper or improper use of force. And then obviously in this case, uh, the nine minute and 20 second video showing the officers struggling to get George Floyd into the back of the squad car and ultimately having him slide out of the squad car and then down onto his face in that prone position. And there was a lot of discussion about a takedown or uh, controlling a person and different techniques like neck restraints or something called hobbling, where they take your arms and your legs behind you and they strap them together so that you can't move. And uh, also, you guys, they were all asked to a T whether watching the video in that case where George Floyd stopped breathing, should the restraint have been lifted? And of course, and everyone said yes. Well, yeah, and I think the interesting thing is um, the use of force expert when he testified saying that uh, Chauvin's force against Joy Floyd was excessive. Is a testimony mm-hmm. like that damaging to, you know, obviously Chauvin in this case? Because it seems like we continue to hear that all of the actions that were taken were unnecessary. What does that really look like in the terms of things? Well, I think that over and over again, we've heard that now you guys said day seven of testimony that the prosecution, the state is doing a really good job. And we learned today that they'll probably wrap up their case this week, which would mean then the defense would get its case to be able to present its side of the story next week. Now, remember, though, the defense, Eric Nelson is Chauvin's attorney. He gets to cross-examine everyone. And so he'll his themes are, as you say, you know, is it damning? His themes are there were a lot of there were people there. It was tense. The crowd was angry. He is going to argue that George Floyd had drugs in his system and he had a bad heart. And so he's really trying to continue to put that into the minds of jurors, even as witness after witness, including our police chief, who I think you talked to phone about yesterday, um, saying that this is no technique that's ever been trained in his department. Yeah. That this is not. Yeah, right, right. It's a difficult defense, that's for sure. It's challenging. Um, uh, What is the argument around Floyd's friend who was with him and debating whether they should include him? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was an interesting part of the day. Um, That was early, hours and hours and hours ago. Uh, (laughs) About 8 o'clock this morning, they had a motion because this night that we see the different video, the surveillance video of Inside Cup Foods, which is the store where Floyd bought the cigarettes for $20 and this whole thing unfolded, um, this man named Morris Hall is George Floyd's friend, and he was in the video with George Floyd inside the store. And what we learned about him throughout the testimony that's already been on is that George Floyd's girlfriend, Courtney, um, oh, gosh, why can't I remember her last name? George Floyd's girlfriend. There's a lot of names to remember, and that one's not popping into my head real quick. Oh, it's Sorry. all good. Uh, yeah, she testified that this Maurice Hall was someone that they bought drugs from. And the clerk at the store identified Morris Hall as being someone who had earlier in the day tried to pass fake 20s before he gave one to George. And so this dude, Maurice, was in jail, appearing in court today via Zoom, 
And he, through his attorney, was saying he does not want to testify at all about this case because it would incriminate him. You know, then, in you know, he's subject to having someone say, so you're a drug dealer uh, and you're a forger, you know, so he could run yeah. into trouble that way, especially if um, I don't know what's going to happen to him, if anything. But, you know, a lot of times when you supply drugs to someone who dies, you can be culpable. You know, you can be respons- held responsible. Yeah, really now, he hasn't been at all in this case, but I'm just saying totally. that that's their fear. So that ended up being, just to kind of wrap that up, the judge is not going to decide on whether or not Hall is going to be allowed to try- to testify. But on Thursday, he'll decide, and Eric Nelson, the defense attorney, has to make a very specified, narrow list of questions that could be asked. Yeah. All right, we'll have nothing to do with drugs or, you know, drugs or the counterfeit money. Uh, Thank you so much. Um, We appreciate you for joining us. We have to wrap this up, but uh, that is... Yeah, I'm sorry I talk a lot. (laughs) No, you're doing your job. That was Susie Jones, WCCO radio reporter in Minneapolis. Hope to have you back. Now coming up, our vaccine passports unethical. We discuss that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. As we mentioned earlier, Texas Governor Greg Abbott joined Florida Governor Ron DeSantis to say that uh, places, stores, businesses can't force customers to get vaccines. Basically, they are not into vaccine passports. They think they're unethical. So what does this all mean moving forward? We're joining us right now is infectious diseases expert Dr. Michael Say. Thanks for joining us again today. Sure. Happy to be back with you. So the Biden administration has clearly said that they're not requiring vaccine passports. So why would DeSantis feel the need to issue this? It's almost like he's creating this is another issue between Democrats and Republicans. I think the concept is, uh, from a biologic perspective, is the people who have been vaccinated have low risk of becoming infected in the first place. And even if they do, there's also a low risk of transmission. And so it does make some sense that when people start to re-congregate with one another, that the ideal is for everybody in the general area to all be vaccinated. If there's somebody who's not vaccinated in that group, they're at risk for picking up infection, but they're also at risk for bringing infection to the other folks who have been vaccinated. And every now and then we see a case of somebody who's been vaccinated who picked up COVID. So I think the governor probably is out in front on this a little bit too far. I don't think anybody's going to require passports for, for as a general rule, although I could imagine that for certain events and certain individual groups, say like churches and that type of thing, they may require that. So that's up to the individual establishment to make that decision. Do you think, and I actually, I, I wonder, are vaccine like kind of passports the first time we've ever thought about something like that? Even like the vaccine cards. Have we ever seen that pop up in, in other cases of needing vaccines before? Well, I think we can all remember going to elementary school and requiring certain uh, vaccines that have been given. That's especially important for measles, which is, is very infectious. And we've gotten rid of measles, except in situations where parents refuse to have their kids vaccinated. We may be headed to that for schools and that type of thing, but it's a little bit too soon to make a decree about what will happen. And I don't think Rutgers University, I think, is the only school that I'm aware of that's requiring um, students to get vaccinated for reentry into um, uh, back on campus. And that may not be a full decision, but um, 
it's hard to it's hard to make that requirement while the vaccines are still under the early use authorization. That's the EUA. Uh, once the vaccines get fully approved, which could be soon, then I think we can start hearing about that. But it's going to be individual decisions. I can't imagine blanket requirements um, across the board from the federal government. But I could see, like I said earlier, that individuals or individual entities or establishments may require it for entry. Yeah, definitely. And when we travel, we have to get vaccines around different things that those countries are dealing with. Uh, but how can That's we can, right. Yeah, how can we confront that issue of vaccine passports creating a caste system and continuing inequities? Because I, I do think that could be an issue uh, where if someone doesn't have the access or money to do certain things, even though it's free, but you know what I mean? They're not in a space to do it. But then if an employer requires it, it could start creating those inequities. Yes, it could. And I've been impressed so far with what, A, the ramp-up has been for vaccination. I think we're going to have a record 4 million people getting vaccinated a day from now on, which is just phenomenal. And they're also opening up now for vaccinations to people in a lot of states, regardless of their age, as long as they're over the age of 16. So that's an exciting development since the last time we talked. And then I guess finally, the, the people who are having trouble getting access the government has is establishing something equivalent to the Peace Corps, except they're going to call it Vaccine Corps. And those folks will be charged with going out into communities, finding people who are unable to get to local vaccination centers and give them their vaccines at home. And I think that's going to be an exciting opportunity to reach the disenfranchised populations and get them uh, vaccinated. Okay, well, uh, thank you so much again for joining us. That was Dr. Michael Sag, infectious diseases expert. Have a great day. Thank you. Good to be back with you. Coming up next, the strange story of Amazon employees who have been sharing pictures of themselves going to the bathroom in bottles and what Amazon has to say about all of this next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Amazon has been dragged uh, a bit slash a lot lately. You know, their workers are trying to unionize and they keep fighting that, which is never a good thing, right? Because that's never going to end up going well, including when you're a company of that size. But now, you know, there's been a lot of reports of the unethical, unsafe work conditions uh, that folks were peeing in bottles... Uh, specifically the drivers, and there's like pictures, there's photographic evidence of this, which isn't something new. The new thing is that Wisconsin Representative Congressman Mark Pocan called them out over Twitter, and then Amazon was like, you don't actually believe this thing, do you? And then he shared like, well, no, this is a thing, and it forced them to actually acknowledge it for the first time and apologize. Um... What for Amazon to be such a huge company like this, they really need to work on their PR strategy and they're just their PR department in general because whoever runs their Amazon, um, it's at Amazon News, their official account. Uh, first of all, these tweets are still up, which is kind of embarrassing. But some rogue employee just went on a rampage just feeling like they had to defend the company and just honestly ended up making a fool out of themselves and out of the company because... What in the world do you think that you could do to try to say, oh, when there's proof that this is not happening or none of these things are real or you're trying to, you know, fight in this way? It's like you're a huge company and you work. Whoever this person is works for this company should not be doing this. It just makes no sense. 
Yeah, so it's tone deaf. Totally, including when you're basically fighting back and forth with a congressman around this stuff. Oh, they were fighting with Senator Sanders, uh, Senator Warren. I mean, it was it was a moment on Twitter that I was like, "What is happening here?" I thought it was a fake account, to be quite honest. And then you see the blue check, and you're like, "Oh, this is." Verified? Do you think they were just like, you know, having a glass of wine? Like, ooh, this is getting, uh, it's like a reality show over here. Like, we're no, on Bravo. It's just, instead of defending that your workers don't pee in bottles and then find out that they do, how about you create better work environments for your workers? Create that, create a, a ability for them to make livable wages, create an ability for them to not, you know, I mean, just make the union happen. Be okay with what's happening with the union because they just want to be respected and treated with respect. That's what a union would do. With where things are headed. Yeah, yeah. so it's just ridiculous. You, They got all of this noise and they're tweeting all of this stuff, but they're still not doing anything to help their employees. Yeah, they said in the statements, we're unhappy about it. We owe an apology to Representative Pokin, uh, and it's technically not an apology, and this is according uh, to this article about this whole thing that was in Mike.com. They say, rather than acknowledge its own role in these issues, the company said the whole drivers peeing in bottles thing is industry-wide. It's the norm, so we gotta be okay with it. I have peed in a bottle, but I was a college student. Didn't feel That's like impressive. getting up. That's impressive. I never got, uh, understood how I literally I, didn't feel like getting up, and I was in, it was in the middle of the, uh, it was like midnight, and I was like, I'm not going to that nasty dorm uh, bathroom. Yeah. So I'll just use this bottle. So I guess they're okay with <laughs> them doing that. By the way, I have a story about that, too. Uh, they do say they have dozens of restrooms where employees can go at any time I don't think at anyone fulfillment learned, centers. I, say, I don't think anyone learned anything from this besides that we pee in bottles. I went to Burning Man and peed in one of those, um, something I got at a nature store. And it worked, but it was scary. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. It, I, yeah, it was easier than going to the the bathrooms over there. I did it in like one of our vans. But let me tell you, that overflows easily. Ew, okay, uh, that, what? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Let us know how you think Amazon should be responding to all this. And if you peed in any bottles at LGT Show on social media. You don't have to let us know. You really don't. Sharing is caring. Coming up on the show, President Biden has a message for all corporations speaking out against Georgia's new voting bills. Uh, that's coming up next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We are back and coming up on this wild and busy Tuesday show. Why many QAnon followers report having mental health diagnoses. This is actually a story we've been wanting to cover for a while. And we finally have uh, the guest, a social and clinical psychologist joining us, who really is a big part of this story. So stick around for that in 30 minutes. But right now, let's get into some What's Trending This Hour. President Biden says it's reassuring to see corporations opposing Georgia's sweeping voting law, but is cautioning businesses leaving the state and that it could hurt workers. The other side to it, too, is when they, in fact, move out of Georgia, the people who need the help the most, people who are making hourly wages, sometimes get hurt the most. I think it's a very tough decision for a corporation to make, but I respect them when they make that judgment. And I support whatever judgment they make. But it's the best way to deal with this is for Georgia and other states to smarten up. Stop it. Stop it. Yeah, just do the right thing and everyone can move on with their lives. Stop it. I like that passion. (sighs) But it's true. They, They need to stop it. 
Now, we want to give another shout out to Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson. I feel weird saying shout out because. Why are we shouting him out? Well, he vetoed a bill on Monday. That doesn't mean anything, but he also was awful about it. We want to give a shout out to the action, not the person. No, don't give him a shout out on anything. Just report on the news. The bill would have banned transgender youth from receiving gender-affirming medical care. The legislation would have outlawed doctors from providing gender-confirming hormone treatment, puberty blockers, or surgery to anyone under 18. But now this uh, House Bill 1570 was passed by majorities in the state Senate and House, and that bill returns to the chambers where it can still become law with another majority vote. However, it was vetoed because it could have been signed off by Governor Hutchinson, but he decided uh, that he wasn't going to do it. It was too complicated. He was going to leave the in the trust of the doctors and the families. I'm not wor- I'm not giving him any praise. He's no. a crappy person. Okay, I'm 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 happy though it got vetoed. Yeah, of course, but he still sucks. Well, that was a little update and a reminder to what happened yesterday because that was actually a big deal. But that was uh what's trending this hour, what's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so uh, let's talk about this because we kind of have some breaking news, but it's been a while. So it's time for your tea report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. So former reality TV star Caitlyn Jenner is talking with political. Oh my god, I must do <laughs> political consultants as she's actively exploring a run for governor of California. Wow. Uh, Jenner is being assisted in her consideration by uh, Carolyn uh, Wren, a longtime GOP fundraiser. Wren initially met Jenner through her work with the American Unity Fund, a GOP nonprofit focused on LGBT issues, which that seems like an oxymoron. Wren previously worked at Trump Victory, a joint fundraising committee uh, for President Trump's 2020 campaign. And get this, she also helped organize the rally he addressed immediately before the U.S. Capitol assault on January 6th. So, yeah, um, this is actually coming. This news is really popping up as Republicans have launched a huge recall campaign against Newsom, angry about his immigration and tax policies. The effort gained momentum amid added criticism of the governor's handling of this entire pandemic. So I can't believe Caitlyn Jenner's really thinking about doing this. I don't know how I feel about it. And I think it is not going to be good. And actually, I do know how I feel about it. If she thinks that she is going to be a trans Republican and they're going to vote her into office when they're literally stripping away the rights of other trans folks, she's delusional. Right, unless she thinks that she can change that, maybe. As and that's delusional privilege. Yeah. It's delusional privilege. Hashtag delusional privilege. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's your T-Report. I got more coming up next hour, of course. Don't forget, y'all, Channel Q is a part of Odyssey, and it's a new app. Download it. A-U-D-A-C-Y. We have a caller in a minute. We're going to pick it up. Um, and, yeah, that's your T-Report. Okay, coming up on the show, it's the first International Asexuality Day today. What you need to know and how you can celebrate. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We are officially celebrating the first International Asexuality Day today here on Channel Q. And let's go there. And here to share more about what is this is all about and how we can all get involved is Jared Boot, a licensed psychotherapist and clinical psychology doctoral student with research and clinical interests relating to the LGBTQIA plus community. Basically an expert on this. Thanks for being here. Yeah, of course. It's a pleasure. Uh, so, happy Asexuality Day. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, 
the inaugural uh, International Day of Asexuality. Uh, before this, uh, there was the Asexual Awareness Week, but uh, I'm excited to see more awareness brought to asexuality internationally. Definitely. How would you define asexuality for those who are confused about what it is? Yeah, so that's a really good question. Um, there is a little bit of a myth out there that to identify as asexual, you need to completely uh, lack interest in sex and uh, not engage in sexual activity whatsoever. But asexuality is better understood uh, by a lot of folks as a spectrum uh, that encompasses people who identify that way, but also people who experience uh, sexuality a little bit differently than others. Perhaps um, they are only attracted to a kink or a fetish and uh, they identify as gray sexual, or perhaps they're only sexual in the presence of a strong emotional attachment to other people. In that case, they would be demisexual. Um, and uh, so I think that broader definition better encompasses what asexuality is. You know, I, one thing that I feel is so interesting, our community, the LGBTQ plus um, community is just so diverse. It feels like you never really know what is also a part of the, like, I guess, of the community and, and who else is a part of it and, and what the letters stand for. Do you feel like our community knows, I mean, is allies to even, you know, asexual folks or, you know, people who identify in that way, because it just feels like there is a lack of even education about all of these different things that we need to be kind of supportive of. Yeah, that's a really great point, actually. Even within the LGBTQ yeah. community, a lot of folks think that the A stands for ally instead of asexual. Yes. And um, in community centers across the country, um, that are devoted to the LGBTQ community. There's a lack of programming related to asexuality, despite the fact that, especially in the transgender and gender diverse community, there is a disproportionate number of people who identify as asexual relative to cisgender people. And I think that's really problematic. So that's why I'm excited to see more awareness brought to this identity uh, especially as somebody who identifies as part of the asexual spectrum, I identify as demisexual myself. That's uh, amazing. And what does that mean? So basically, uh, demisexual uh, means that in the presence of a strong emotional attachment to others, somebody uh, would uh, be interested in sexual activity, but only in that strong emotional bond with another person. And just because there is a strong emotional bond doesn't necessarily mean that the person would be sexually active with another person. Mm. It's, um, I guess the way that I like to describe it is it's a secondary attraction, that emotional bond that you have with a person versus that physical, like, first sight, uh, almost like, um, uh, like, uh, physical attractiveness, I would describe as a primary attraction. And that secondary attraction is actually more important to people who identify as demisexual and activates that primary attraction. So what are you hoping a day like this uh, really does as we move forward? Because I mean, it's the first international day. I, I'm like, well, this is huge because so many people are going to now find out and we thank you so much for coming on. But what are you in the hoping uh, hope for, you know, days like this in the future? 
Yeah, um, that's a really great point. I I hope that on college campuses across the country, it is celebrated right now during the pandemic. That's a little bit harder with uh, so many Zoom instruction uh, hours happening across the country. Um, but I'm hoping that after we make it out of these dark days of the pandemic, that uh, there will be celebrations and events on college campuses across the country like there have been for Asexual Awareness Week. And hopefully that will take part globally since this is an international day of recognition. Love that. Is there anywhere where people can find out more if they want to get involved? Yeah, definitely. So AVEN is the oldest uh, organization uh, devoted to the asexual community. Uh, It's at asexuality.org. Uh, and they have forums where people can uh, chat with others, uh, get more information about the uh, various identities within the asexual community, and uh, take part in research, because that's one of the areas that I'm really hoping uh, changes. Uh, some of the research uh, related to the asexual community in the early days was problematic, and um, that's one of the things that I'm trying to devote my career to as I start out is uh, making sure to destigmatize uh, this community, not just because I'm a part of it, but because I think it will make the LGBTQI community stronger and a more loving place for everyone. Definitely. Well, thank you for all the work you're doing and what's ahead. Uh, Jarrett Boot is a doctoral student at the Michigan School of Psychology. Have a great night. Thank you. You too. Have fun celebrating. Coming up on the show, uh, the interesting discovery from a clinical researcher around the psychology of QAnon followers. We get into what she discovered next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Research has come out about QAnon followers, who, by the way, may number in the millions, a report saying that uh, a lot is connected to their mental health. They report mental health diagnoses. So why is this discovery an important one? Well, joining us is Sofia Moskalenko, who uh, is a PhD in social and clinical psychology from the University of Pennsylvania, who researches radicalization and terrorism. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. So during research you did for the book Pastels and Pedophiles Inside the Mind of QAnon, tell us more about what you discovered around mental health. Right. So um, I started out thinking of QAnon as a radical movement, and radicalization and terrorism is what I study. And through the time that I spent working on the book and and reading these profiles and, and other people's data, I was struck by how frequently... Um, mental health problems came up in these cases, which is not at all what we're used to seeing in terrorist groups and radical movements. Um, They actually tend to be less likely to have mental health issues than an average person. And um, the most striking data I've seen um, were from people who um, were QAnon followers and also were involved in the January 6th um, failed insurrection attempt. Among those 68% had prior mental health diagnoses, uh, which is more than three times the rate um, among Americans in general. And so I have changed my view of QAnon from it being a terrorist radical movement to it being a kind of a symptom of a massive mental health crisis that 
um, that we are having in this country following the COVID lockdowns and the isolation and the anxiety that had to do with the virus. Um, and a lot of people who became QAnon followers did so um, as an escape, um, as a way to channel their frustrations, their um, their fears and, and their angers um, through these narratives that are the conspiracy theories um, spewed by Q and and others. Yeah, so you said a lot there that needs to be unpacked. What would you <laughs> say, what would you say to people who think that giving this kind of mental health diagnoses is kind of like a cop out to the danger that QAnon is doing and what we saw as an insurrection on January 6th? Is it really fair to just kind of wrap it up in a, a kind of a mental health blanket? I want to keep you there, give you some time to think about that answer. We're going to be right back with you. Don't go anywhere. All right. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We are talking about what has been revealed about QAnon followers, a new report, and we are with one of the individuals behind the report, Sofia Moskalenko, who is from University of Pennsylvania, a PhD in social and clinical psychology. Thanks again for joining us today. Thank you. So right before the break, I, I kind of left you <laughs> a lot to think about. Um, but I wanted to know, is it really fair to kind of wrap the extreme kind of radical terror that we've seen from a, the, the QAnon group into this kind of, oh, it's just a mental health issue? Is that really fair to do that? Um, well, I wouldn't say it's just a mental health issue. A mental health issue is a, a huge problem. And all by itself, it can lead to um, violence like we've seen with some of these mass shootings very recently where very clearly individuals had prior history of um, very serious mental health problems that were not addressed. And that was likely the problem, not some political thing. So um, it, it's not to minimize the problem. It's just to direct resources um, and and to not waste them um, on wrong interventions. Mm. Because we do have a huge radicalization and terrorism problem in this country, which was also represented at the January 6th insurrection. Um, but uh, by that, I mean the right-wing militia groups like Proud Boys, Three Percenters, Oath Keepers, these are much less numerous groups. So QAnon is like tens of millions of people in the U.S. These militias are maybe tens of thousands. Uh, but they have been responsible for 75% of all lethal political violence incidents in the United States since 9-11. So it's a matter of scale. If you want to direct resources toward de-radicalization and counterterrorism, then we should not focus on QAnon. We should focus on right wing. Mm. If you want to temper down conspiracy theories online, which have their own dangers, for example, um, anti-vaccine conspiracy might stop somebody from getting vaccinated, and then they may you know, get sick or, God forbid, die, and that's a serious problem as well. So if you want to tamper down conspiracy theory spread, then we should invest in developing mental health services that would be accessible for people, whether or not they have health insurance um, and would come in, in a variety of forms that would be ac accessible and not stigmatized. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I tend to agree. The few people I did know who are QAnon people, definitely there were some mental health 
issues. But I feel like anyone who's going to believe things that there's uh, not a lot of evidence or do things that are, quote unquote, maybe ethically wrong, you would think there's there's some mental health issues there, probably. I guess, like, what do we do moving forward with this information? And you kind of said a bit of that, uh, that we put more resources into mental health. But what do you hope to people will take away from your research in the book? Well, we have a whole chapter dedicated to potential interventions. And, you know, as researchers, we may be very good at inventive with ideas, but of course, you know, the resources that would be needed would come from the government um, in the form of legislation that would, um, you know, control the traffic on social media and, and regulate some of the foreign influence on it and um, we also propose some of the things that people can do individually if they have a family member or a loved one who is very deep into QAnon or maybe who is, you know, experiencing some doubts and, and ready to come out. Um, some of the conversations you might have with people um, to maybe direct their thoughts in a direction, you know, other than QAnon. So there are a lot of things that can be done. A lot of them require concerted effort from agencies that deal with public policy, um, but some of them are things that you and I and, and, and just regular people can, um, can read up on and, and, and apply to, to people in their lives who are affected by conspiracy theories. Definitely. Well, uh, thank you for being here and for this. Uh, that was Dr. Sofia Muskalenko from the University of Pennsylvania. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Um, Now, coming up on the show, we've got what's trending this hour. California has updated their COVID restrictions. The latest next. There with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Hello, this is Let's Go There with Shira and Ryan. Again, we're here live for you, 2 to 6 p.m. Pacific, 5 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Channel Q. We've got some news for you and uh, fun stories in between the music. You won't want to miss any of these stories we have coming up, including, in 15 minutes, the campaign to save lesbian bars. Plus, should there be a limit on how much debt a young person takes on? Or how much cryptocurrency someone should buy who doesn't know how to buy it? Oh my God, leave it That's my problem. Anyone else? (laughs) First, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Major League Baseball announced today that the 2021 All-Star Game will officially be hosted by the Colorado Rockies in Denver in July. That's going to be taking place and airing on Fox July 13th, 2021, of course. The last time the All-Star Game was held in Denver was 1998. This comes after the restricted the restrictive voting laws were, of course, passed in Georgia. And all these corporations are pulling out of Georgia. Well, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp is blaming cancel corporations culture for the MLB's decision to move its game. And here's more from Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. I'm I'm not talking about political contributions. Most of them contribute to both sides. They have political action committees. That's fine. It's legal. It's appropriate. I support that. I'm talking about taking a position on a highly incendiary issue like this and punishing a community or a state because you don't like a particular law they passed? I just think it's stupid. Yeah, you already punished them by restricting those their voting laws. 
No, actually, what the funny thing about uh, that moment is him, like, basically insinuating, well, you know, stay out of politics, but don't stay out of the political contributions. (laughs) It's like, you want my money, but you don't want me to have nothing to do with it? No. I mean, (sighs) ew. Mitch McConnell's the worst. Now, let's move on to California. They have plans to lift the coronavirus restrictions. California Governor Gavin Newsom said this today, that the state will reopen its economy by June 15th, provided that the coronavirus vaccine and hospitalization cases remain stable. He said this in a statement. We will need to remain vigilant and continue the practices that got us here, wearing masks and getting vaccinated. But the light at the end of this tunnel has never been brighter. The state is also slated to end its four-tiered color-coded system, which we still don't understand how purple could be over red, but that's okay. And that's been used to determine risk levels. <laughs> Purple's a good color. Don't make it the worst. Uh, and that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so Rihanna is giving us just another reason to love her. It is time for the T-Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. So the pop star, superstar, and um, makeup mogul Rihanna showed her support for the Asian American and Pacific Islander community by going undercover to attend a Stop Asian Hate rally Sunday in New York City. She avoided uh, drawing attention to herself by covering her face in a, a black face mask, a baseball hat and large dark sunglasses so here's the thing i guess we found out is because her assistant who she was there with posted um this hilarious video of one of the attendees at the rally asking rihanna for her instagram handle apparently unaware that he was talking to rihanna here is a little bit of that clip because i just found it to be so hilarious just listen just tune in is it just a thing at all? Yeah. No, my I have nails. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's you? Just like, that's you? Of course it's Rihanna. Oh what? That's amazing. <laughs> and so, you know, she's absolutely incredible. Of course, you know, she's out there doing what she has to do, not telling nobody. Um, but I'm, I'm, I love her, and we need new music, Rihanna. Get it together. She is cool. Didn't I'm still say, playing Umbrella. Didn't she say, like, just take a break? She She's focusing on her lingerie line. Yeah, she most definitely. Well, she's focusing on all on her On all business. businesses, yeah. yeah. Did, but um, real quick, because that's your tea report, I have more tea with you. If you did not know, Radio.com is now Odyssey. Um, we can, basically, we're providing the news our fans need. The sports they love, the podcast they crave, the music they can't live without live and on demand. A Channel Q is now a part of a bigger company, and that company is called Odyssey. You're going to be hearing so much more about it in the coming weeks and months. And, of course, go ahead and download that Odyssey app if you already had the Radio.com app. Guess what? It just switched over, so you didn't even have to do anything. Um, so, yeah, shout-out to Odyssey, and uh, shout-out to the T-Report. I'm done spilling. Okay, coming up, how the Lesbian Bar Project is trying to save the country's lesbian bars amid the pandemic. That's next. The number of lesbian bars in the U.S. has always been small in comparison to gay bars, which cater mostly to men, even though statistically women are more likely to be LGBTQ+. Uh, this comes from an article in NBC, actually. And inspired last May by the news that only about 16 lesbian bars remain in the U.S. because of the pandemic, uh, Orange is the New Black star Leah Delaria teamed up with queer filmmakers Erica Rose and Alina Street on the Lesbian Bar Project. And actually, uh, you spoke to Erica Rose on... 
I never spoke to her, oh. but the morning beat. The morning beat. Oh, you weren't on. Covered. Sorry. Yeah, you, I was. I, co- been, I filled in you, and we yes. talked about this because we, we obviously, it's it's something that is really okay. impacting the queer community right now. And they had an interview that was really, really good yes. with the documentary. And we, I wanted to bring it onto the show to highlight this Thank moment. Thank you that she's for clarifying about. that yeah. from the morning beat. I got gotcha. you. Basically, at the beginning of the pandemic, there was like a bunch of articles that came out that like had this like shocking number. And like me personally, like I feel like I'm like very integrated into our community and like I'm very gay and go to the bars all the time. And I didn't even know. So I was like, if I don't even know, then like most of the country and the world won't know. So she was talking about um, the lack of just education on the fact that there is a dying number of lesbian bars. There's barely any. And to know that even with the pandemic happening, it's impacted it even further. And so at this point, there are no lesbian safe spaces, which is really, you know, devastating when you talk about it. And one thing that me and Michaela spoke about on the morning um beat was about kind of the existing misogyny that really does exist when it comes to our own community and and how oftentimes these lesbian spaces are safe spaces for them to one for all women to come and and be celebrated and celebrate themselves and i'm like i can't even name a lesbian bar even out here we've had comedians on like when we first started our show we, we had a comedian on and she talked about the lack of lesbian spaces and so i do think uh, this is a really big deal that we need to be paying attention to and supporting because if us as queer folks want these safe spaces if we want these things to exist we have to support our brothers and sisters and our non-binary siblings because how else are they going to keep the lights on if we're not going to be there making money so i'm hoping Hoping, as we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel with a lot of these things and the vaccine and all that stuff, we can start supporting, you know, each other more to create these safe spaces. Yes, you bring up a lot of important points. And actually, if you go to the site, lesbianbarproject.com, they've already raised over $117,000. So go continue to support what they're doing. And they have some new announcements coming up as well, including a new documentary uh, so lesbianbarproject.com for that. And of course, if you know a local spot, a lesbian bar, go support it. That's for sure. Coming up on the show, should there be a limit on how much debt a young person takes on? We've got some of those answers next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Young Americans between the ages of 18 and 29 owe over $1 trillion in student loans and mortgage and credit card debt that many will be paying back for decades. So should there be a limit to how much debt a young person takes on? Well, Paul Schofield is with us, an assistant professor of philosophy at Bates College in Maine, who wrote about this topic. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So why is this an important question to ask? And why should we hold the government possibly accountable or policy? policies around this? Well, I, I think it's important because uh, it's, it's, imp- it's, it's important for the government to be worried about um, how, how we can protect people from themselves. Um, there's a lot of attention paid to uh, how, uh, how you can protect one person from another. But then when so when somebody is going to do something bad to themselves or the uh, or 
major financial institutions are willing to help them do something that's going to harm themselves, we say, well, that's that's all up to you. Uh, and I and I think that that's a mistake. Yeah, I just wonder, do you really think this system that we've been living from capitalism, all that stuff, especially in this world, you know, we're having these conversations about eliminating having Joe Biden del- eliminate, you know, student loan debt and all these things. But there's still an argument surrounding that. Well, what about the people who've already paid off their student loans? What about this? What about that? And it just feels like we're not going to be capable of understanding kind of empathy towards others or not feeling like, oh, because I didn't receive or I had to do whatever. Not everyone should get it. Yeah, I, I think that's an unfortunate uh, attitude that a lot of people have. But I, but I, but I also think that if you, if you think about things uh, in this uh, in this way that I sort of suggest in the piece, um, that you know, we we all recognize that the government has a role in protecting us from each other. Maybe it should protect us from ourselves, and maybe in the case of uh, uh, eliminating debt, um, you know, it, it makes sense to go back and undo some of the bad things that people have done to themselves. Um, even, even if uh, I ended up paying, paying back all of my debt, um, it's, it's good if somebody, if, if somebody else is made full. How does this intersect with philosophy well, oh, so I think it intersects with uh, political philosophy in particular, um, because philosophers are interested in what sort of role the government should have or not have in our lives. Um, and so I think a lot of uh, I think a lot of um, a lot of people think, and, and a lot of philosophers think that uh, that uh, insofar as you are only hurting yourself or you're only inflicting a bad thing upon yourself. Um, that means that it's, it's basically okay or it's not the concern of the government at all. Um, and, uh, and as a philosopher, I, I kind of want to challenge that idea and think like, no, a lot of the things that we think that a government should do in, uh, in making sure that we don't harm each other or, or, or take away each other's freedoms are things that it should be concerned with uh, when, uh, when it thinks about the way that you know, individual people treat themselves. You know, at age 20 or age 18, um, a person can take on so much debt that they will be paying it off for the rest of their adult life. Um, they're not even thinking about that when they take the debt on, right? Um, and so uh, if somebody else were to do that to me or had the ability to do to do something like that to me, the government would step in and say, no, you can't hurt that person in that way. But since it's since it's me 20 years in the future, um, the, uh, the government st- says, well, it's, it's, it's OK, don't worry about it. And I, and I think I, I just think that's a mistake. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that that's powerful stuff. So should there be. Should there be a limit or like or should there be more 
um, things to go through, like applications. Like, how do you? Or maybe give people a livable wage and just a livable lifestyle, so they don't then, have to get a whole bunch like, of debt. But even then, you're gonna want to maybe grow a business college, or buy a house and all so, these things. I think well, until we kind of, I, I wonder what you think how capitalism plays into this because until we kind of restructure capitalism and whatever that looks like, then we're not really going to get anywhere. I love the philosophy of it all, but it also just seems like we're like talking about unicorns and rainbows. Well, yeah. I, so uh, I, on the on the on the issue of what uh, you know, uh, uh, what I said, sure. what uh, what what I recommend yes. ideally, um, it would be something more like uh, uh, guaranteed uh, basic income, uh, u- universal education for all these sorts of things, right? But in the, in the meantime, be, uh, between now and when we get to there, um, I think uh, I think that there's an argument to be made to um, prevent people from doing the things that are that are, are going to ensure that they don't have many choices when they get a little bit older. Um, and so this is you know this, this is not the end game that I'm. Uh, that, I, that I'm sort of advocating here. I'm thinking of it as how do we deal with a non-ideal situation that we find ourselves in? Definitely. And it's then nuanced. on the other side of it, and we need to wrap this up, this is why people have a lot of wine over these conversations. The other side of it, you could say if you take that away, that it leads only people that have the privilege and the money from like family um, and just privilege, they could do the things that those who end up in debt can't like. They're already doing that. But, then, no, then it'll be literally lifestyle. cut off. But then there's some people that end up borrowing money and actually building great things from it. So, but that's anyway. Mm, it's interesting. I don't like that. <laughs> All right. Well, well, yeah. What, Paul? No, I, no. Uh, for for sure that I, that's um, uh, it's yeah. Uh, it's it's a very real concern that um, that uh, that those those who are disadvantaged. Uh, uh, will be denied access to um, both ways. Yeah, yeah both ways. Being denied access. it goes both we, ways. Why are we acting like, clueless? Like they're not being denied access. I don't understand yes, yes, that conversation. I mean, do we want to bring? Yeah, because I, I actually we could continue this conversation because I do want to talk about your book, Duty to Self, uh, where you uh, talk about a bit about this. So let's bring back don't Paul Schofield for that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. How much debt should a young person take on? Should it be regulated? Should the government get involved? And if that gets taken away, does it only allow people of privilege to make those things happen? Or... Is it's it- the system, though. I hate that you're framing it like that because this idea that it's just people with privilege, of course it is, but it's more nuanced and complicated uh-huh. than just that, right? Like, it's a system. It's 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 based in systemic, like, racism and systemic issues that have to be completely, like, abolished for it to, like, actually work in this way that we're talking about it from a philosophical perspective. Well, Paul Schofield joins us for that, who is an assistant professor of philosophy at Bates College in Maine. As we discuss this and we go there... <laughs> Have some wine uh, Paul, well, yeah. What was your take on you know what Ryan said about that? You know, it, it's the the system versus the individual, and will the, it, there ever be a reasonable place to be? Well, so so the the amount uh, the the amount of debt that um, that uh, if if I understand the, the the concern, it's it's that um, 
it's that without the ability to borrow, you're going to end up with uh, a lot of people who uh, already are in gr- a great position um, uh, societally to, uh, you know, to, um, you know, you know, to, you know, um, go to great institutions and things like that. Yeah. But, but, but as, as uh, you know, as already been mentioned, I mean, we're, we're already at that point. And, um, and to be honest, I don't think that letting people borrow um, in, in the hopes of getting ahead is really doing them much of a favor. Like if you actually look at the, um, uh, look at, look at the people who, go into debt to go to, for instance, um, uh, for-profit colleges, you know, it, this isn't giving them a, a big leg up in, in terms of our society. Rather, it's, um, it, it's giving them an, an additional shackle, you know, that, is, that is, is going to be something that's going to prevent them from doing things that they want to do later in their life while giving them a degree that in many cases just isn't going to give them the opportunities that they're hoping sure. to have. There you go. That, you, you, know, hit on, you hit it on the head. I was, I was thinking about homes sometimes and businesses, which could give someone a leg up, but that still becomes... And even with that, it's such systemic issues that we really have to just completely take away the system so we can really create the change that we need to see because if you don't do that then we won't get what we're talking about here so i'm really happy you touched on it we're we're wrapping up duty to self why should people get the book paul your book well um because if, if you think that morality or politics is only about dealing with other people and how you should treat them i think you're making a mistake um the uh, uh, the, the truth is that, uh, that you should be worried about yourself also, and that politics concerns not just other people, but it concerns you and whether or not you're doing wrong to yourself. Fascinating. Well, that was Paul Schofield, Assistant Professor of Philosophy at Bates College in Maine. Check out his book, Duty to Self, out right now. Yeah, Thanks again. Because clearly it's a conversation starter. Yep. <laughs> Thank you so much. Coming up, we've got what's trending this hour. Uh, New Zealand, Australia are creating travel bubbles. What that even means, we'll tell you next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Coming up on the show, we've got updates on the Derek Chauvin trial with a reporter on the ground there. Plus, we're celebrating asexuality, uh, International Asexuality Day. What does that even mean? What does it mean to be asexual? We've got the answers for you in this hour. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. New Zealand and Australia will allow quarantine-free travel between the two countries starting April 19th. It's, uh, they're calling it the new arrangement, the Trans-Tasman Bubble. <laughs> the bubble will give our economic recovery a boost, says New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern. And represents a world-leading arrangement of safely opening up international travel while continuing to pursue a strategy of elimination and keeping the virus out. It's the first time since the pandemic that they required travel restrictions and border closures that conditions have been met, allowing for passengers to travel between Australia and New Zealand without needing a 14-day quarantine. You see, I would love for Canada and the U.S. to have a similar thing. I think if we could figure that out, then we can work something out, and then I can see my family. So I'm down for that. So good on New Zealand for doing this right. Wait, what's your family got to do with New Zealand? 
Well, they created this, uh, the same this agreement. Uh, so I said, what if we did that with a camera? That's a good idea. Yeah, and we're also just good places to live. And that was what's trending this hour. Well, you, we, listen, both of us wouldn't know. We assume, because I believe they have a lot of... Uh, talking about Canada or New Zealand? No, New Zealand. Oh, now, I heard New Zealand um, has a, a lot, um, some history about it. Oh, the nuance. It's the word of the day. I'm sure all every place has uh, some dark history to it. If we really go, that says a lot. Back. That says a lot. Well, yeah, welcome to history. Worst There's a lot of uh, territories that were built on wars and. Are you really about pillaging. to go down this road? What is happening here? That was what's trending this hour. <laughs> Thank you. Jeez Louise. What's happening in entertainment is right. Okay. Oh my God! Please, so get her away. Um. So. <laughs> yes. Do you know what you're talking about? No, I do. I'm sorry. The voice of God wants you to get the COVID-19 vaccine. It's time for the Tea Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. And of course, by the voice of God, I mean the Morgan Freeman. I'm in a new PSA from the Creative Coalition. He's speaking up to encourage people to roll up their sleeves and get vaccinated against covid D-19. Here is what Mr. Freeman had to say. I got the vaccine. If you trust me, you'll get the vaccine. And math is called the distributive property. And people is called taking care of one another. Get the vaccine. Help make our world a safe place for us to enjoy ourselves again. Please. Sometimes Morgan Freeman actually really does think he's God. <laughs> I don't let him. He's he's old and he's not gonna be here anymore very uh, soon. Did you just say he was about to die? You're the one who said it. I, I think I don't remember saying that. In the break, you said I, he's you really have no old. proof. You're the only person <laughs> that just said that all, over I wish the I airwaves. Could record what happens over the, the airwaves. You just said that. I cannot believe you just. Literally no, predicted I, I his think, death. listen, everyone trusts Morgan Freeman. Or Do people. they? Yeah, I think there's a lot of trust. He is that, like, authoritative voice. I don't know. I just, it was weird for him to say that. If you trust me. What do you think they were trying to do with this, right? Take the vaccine. <laughs> if you trust me. Do I sound like him? Yeah, actually, <laughs> you could make a living. Oh, God, y'all. That's your team report. You could be the I'm, ghost voice from Morgan trust Freeman. Morgan Freeman. He's around. He Stop killing Morgan Freeman. You keep killing Morgan Freeman because you're... <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, so let's talk about Odyssey. Odyssey is your new home for all of the audio that matters to you. Download the Odyssey app today to listen to Channel Q. Let's go there. I mean, you may not want to hear Shira trying to kill off Morgan Freeman, but I promise you, Channel Q is a great station. We really provide great quality content. Um, what if Morgan Freeman's LGBTQ plus nephew is listening right now and says, Grant, if you uncle, trust me, uncle, you will cancel like- Shira. <laughs> No, but seriously, Radio.com is now Odyssey. Download the Odyssey app and listen to Channel Q and all the music, nudes, sports, and podcasts that move you. Did it sound like I said nudes? <laughs> I meant to say news. It's okay. It's a, it's a, I don't even know what today is, but it's a good day. And I'm so happy that y'all are st- staying tuned for this crazy of a show. What's next, Shira? Please. Oh, I appreciate you. We're wrapping up the shows we always do with our Yaz Queen of the Day. Yeah. 
Yes, Queen. You know, there's been a lot of vaccine angels and heroes who helps people sign up for vaccines who don't have access or can't use technology. Yes. Well, Selena Herrera is one of those individuals. She registered over 600 people to get COVID-19 vaccine appointments in Texas's Rio Grande Valley area. And it's a volunteer initiative that she began and she's only 26, by the way. So she's busy. She's probably multitasking a lot. She took it upon herself to register her relatives because she's the tech-savvy one in her family. And then the word got out and she started registering other people, which is amazing. And, of course, a majority of her applicants are Latinos, which um, isn't surprising considering the area that she lives in. But it's really important that people like her do this work. Um, and she's just doing awesome stuff for her, her community. She's a trusted source because you got to be careful. A lot of people out there are signing up for uh with people or with platforms that are false or scammy, right? And so make sure if you do sign up with someone, it's with someone that you know or trust. And she actually sends people a brief bio on the form so they know that they can trust her. So oh, yeah, just, I love that. We want to give a shout out to Selena Herrera, one of many great people across the country doing stuff like this. Yeah, and at this point, we're getting so close to the point where everyone will be able to get a vaccine soon. So that kind of eliminates. No, well, it's still course. hard for all older people or those who don't have a phone or a computer to sign up. Yeah. That's so that's true. why people are calling. There's volunteers calling like nursing homes or even yeah. just other in, yeah. in communities where that's needed. Shout out to those volunteers. We appreciate you. Exactly. And finally, this is interesting. Uh, there are these penguins from Shed Aquarium in Chicago that are visiting these restaurants for restaurant week for a good cause. I find this kind of interesting and questionable. They're raising awareness of plastic pollution. It's a uh, conservation issue that impacts their species and other aquatic animals worldwide. Are they going into restaurants? Yeah, the little penguins. It's like... No, which I find interesting because their family are there probably. The definite no one is eating seafood. penguin. No, but Who's seafood. Penguin? They're sea family. That's not their family. <laughs> yes. That is not their family. Maybe their ex- distant cousins, but yes, that's not their family. Yes, it's their distant cousins. Imagine going into a I don't place. care about my distant cousins. I barely know them. So, like, yeah, it's just like the same thing. According to a release from the aquarium who did this, the penguin ambassadors visit um, these restaurants to shed light on the issue while adding physical exercise and variety to the bird's schedule. <laughs> So they have these animals on a slave-like like circus tour to different they're restaurants the to, for I mean, art. Um, it's to raise awareness about this, but they're also, I guess, getting some exercise. Are they getting paid? Are these penguins getting paid know. for their time? I don't know if they're, they have representation, what their contracts look like. I don't know. Uh, the restaurant Those stays closed during agents. the penguins' visit. Wait, after the private party ends, the restaurant is sanitized, uh, so they it's being done properly. So what's the yes queen part of this penguin story? Well, the program is called Let's Shed Plastic. It's committed to reducing single-use plastic, uh, which has become more of an issue during the pandemic with restaurants So they're pushing their message by also traumatizing penguins. <laughs> yes, it's a, queen! Yes, queen. <laughs> I was kind of, I saw this, and it's been in all these websites like people, and I was like, hmm. This is kind of makes me feel uncomfortable, but hey, it's good to, you know, we talk about the nuance of the story. That's what you get here on Let's Go All I heard was Ping was being used (laughs) and not in a happy feet type of way. And that does it for our Yes Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. Nominate someone for our Yes Queen of the Day. Hopefully it's not problematic. Mm -hmm. At LGT Shows, where you can find us on social media. We are back tomorrow here weekdays live for you on Channel Q, 2 to 6 p.m. Pacific, 5 to 9 p.m. Eastern. 
We're going to be looking at the current state of America's remaining lesbian bars, plus why many QAnon followers report having mental health diagnoses. We get into that on tomorrow's show. If you miss any of our shows or interviews, we post everything as a podcast. Just go to the Odyssey app. Radio.com is now Odyssey and search Let's Go There. We are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. See you tomorrow. Have a great night. Bye, y'all.